following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Well, good morning, IBC, and happy Palm Sunday. Can we uh, give another round of applause to our kids? How great were they? We're so grateful for our kids team and our Sunday experience team and so many volunteers that made all of that possible. You have no idea the amount of logistics that it takes to get them from there to here. And we're so grateful for our kids. My name is Sissy, I'm one of the pastors here and I am so glad that you're worshiping with us this morning. Whether you're here in the room or you're watching online, we're so glad that you're with us. We're in the final week of our Lenten series that we've called Beneath the Surface. Because we all like to, on the outside, keep up appearances. We all like to look like we have our lives together. And none of us really wants to admit that in fact, our lives are often messy. And so sometimes we find ourselves pretending, even at church, beneath the surface of our lives, there is a common set of spiritual sicknesses that plague us. Lent is a season of reflection, repentance, and renewal. And so in these past few weeks, we've been looking at some of the common answers to the question, how are you? And we've looked at answers like, I'm fine, and I'm busy, I'm exhausted. This morning, we're going to take a look at one final response to the question, how are you? And here it is, how are you? None of your business. (laughs) Now, we might not say that with our words, but often that's the posture of our hearts, isn't it? It's why we laugh. And we might, someone might ask us, how are you? And we respond, I'm fine, I'm good. And we quickly change the subject because we don't want to do the hard work of self-reflection. And even if we're willing to look at ourselves, we certainly don't want to share that with others. That kind of exposure feels risky. So why are we so afraid of being vulnerable with ourselves, with God, and with others? Why are we so resistant to vulnerability? And the answer is shame. Shame keeps us from being vulnerable. Now, shame is different from embarrassment. A few Sundays ago, I was here at IBC, and uh, one morning after service, I needed to go to the bathroom. Now, let me tell you how uh, the restrooms are set up in our building. For most of the restroom locations, I would say the majority of the restroom locations, the women's room is on the left, and the men's room is on the right, except by the commons, where it's the exact opposite. The men's room is on the left, and the women's room is on the right. And so it's one Sunday morning after service, and I'm, I need to go to a meeting, so I'm running to the bathroom, I'm on autopilot, and I fling the door open and realize it's the men's room. Now, I didn't get very far, don't worry, because as I flung the door open, a man was walking out, and we immediately locked eyes. And he must have seen the sheer look of horror and embarrassment in my eyes because I didn't say a single word. I just did an about face and I ran as fast as I could to the other end of the building to use the bathroom. Now you're probably wondering, Sissy, why did you run? I don't know why I ran. Maybe I thought if I ran fast enough, he would forget what I looked like. I'm not sure, that's what I did. (laughs) Embarrassment 
is a feeling of discomfort that usually doesn't last very long. By the time I got to the other end of the building, I was hysterically laughing at myself. I even told a few friends about it that day. I said, you will not believe what I did today. I'm so embarrassed. Shame is different from embarrassment. Shame is also different from guilt. Guilt says, I did something bad. And so often guilt can be helpful because guilt helps me uh, recognize my sin. When I sin against others, when I sin against God, it helps me own my sin and repent of my sin. Guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. Do you see the difference? Brene Brown is a sociologist and author who's done extensive work uh, and research on shame. She defines shame in this way. Shame is the intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. And shame is universal, meaning we all experience it. And while we all experience it, none of us wants to talk about it. And the less we talk about it, the more power and control it has over our lives. Shame is part of the human story. Shame is part of my story. It's been a key motivating driver of so much of what I've done in my life. It's been the source of my fear of vulnerability. And my first memory of shame was when I was six years old in the first grade. It's a picture of me at the age of six with my little brother. And my parents immigrated from India to the United States in the early 1970s. And I was born in New York City. And at the age of four, they moved us to the suburbs of New Jersey. And so I grew up in this little town that was predominantly white. In fact, when we moved there, we were one of just a few families that were people of color. And in the first grade, I was placed into the lowest reading group. Now, I don't know how schools work today, but in the first grade, we had three reading groups. Reading group one were the all-star readers. Reading group two were the average readers. And reading group three were the worst readers. And I was placed into reading group three. And so one early morning, my mom came into school for a parent-teacher conference. My mom worked nights, she was a nurse, and she, she came straight from work dressed in her blue scrubs. And she brought me with her. And we walked into my classroom, and we sat down across from my teacher, who was white, as she sat behind her desk. And my mom asked my teacher, can you help me understand why my daughter is in the lowest reading group? She doesn't belong there. I know she can read. And my teacher responded when she said, Mrs. Matthew, people like you can't read well. We're doing your daughter a favor by helping her learn to read. And I remember hearing what my teacher said about us, what she said about me and this feeling of shame just washed over me. And the voice of shame began whispering to me, you are not good enough, sissy. And when people see who you really are, they won't love you. And I looked over at my mom and she just had this look of helplessness in her eyes because she, she didn't know what to do. All of this was new to her as it is for many immigrants. She didn't know how to navigate the system and what the right next step was. My mom is a kind, godly woman. But you mess with her kids, and she will cut you. <laughs> and so my mom got up, 
And she said, I don't care what needs to happen. My daughter is not staying in the lowest reading group. She can read, she doesn't belong there. And she grabbed my hand and she squeezed it real tight and we walked out hand in hand out of that classroom. That experience marked me. It deeply wounded me in ways I didn't actually understand until much later in life. Because it was the first time I realized someone didn't like me or they thought less of me because of the color of my skin or because I was the daughter of immigrants. And it was the first time I felt shame. Now, by the way, my mom fought for me the entire year and they had me tested and it turns out I could read. And so I was placed into reading group one. But for so much of my life, I have tried to prove to myself and to the rest of the world that I belonged in reading group one, that I was good enough. That voice of shame got louder when I was 10 years old and I experienced significant trauma that no child should ever have to experience. And because of it, I felt, I never felt good enough. I never felt loved. In fact, I felt unlovable. And so I tried to find my worth in the approval of others and in my achievements. But no matter what anyone did, no matter what anyone said, they could not take my shame from me. And no matter how successful I was or how much I accomplished, it wasn't enough. Throughout my life, I've experienced other moments of significant shame. Some of them, some of those moments were the result of the actions of others. But a lot of them were the result of my own actions. Moments where I have sinned, moments where I have hurt others deeply, moments where I have failed greatly. Because I don't fail a lot, but when I fail, I like to fail big. <laughs> and in those failures, I have made a mess out of my life. And the voice of shame whispered to me again and again, you are not good enough. And when people see who you really are, they won't love you. And God sees who you are. And he can't love you. You are broken damaged and defective. And because of that, I determined never to trust anyone. I saw vulnerability as, as weakness because if people saw who I really was, they, they wouldn't love me. I feared rejection, betrayal, and abandonment. So I resisted being vulnerable. On the outside, my life looked great. I had friends and I had all these relationships and I was accomplished and successful. I appeared to be confident, but deep down inside, I was miserable. I was haunted by shame, living in the story of shame, listening to the voice of shame. And I don't think I'm the only one. Maybe your shame is driven by an addiction or by a broken relationship, whether that's a friendship or a divorce. Maybe it's a failed business venture or getting laid off or debt that you just can't seem to get out from under. Maybe it's your looks, your weight, or your past. Shame is telling you that you are not good enough, that you are damaged, defective, and dirty. You are not enough. And some of you are here this morning or you're watching online and on the outside, your life looks great. But deep inside, you are haunted by shame. You are living in the story of shame, listening 
to the voice of shame. Friends, you and I were created for connection with with God and with others. And shame is the fear of disconnection. And shame is telling you that you are unworthy of love and belonging. Shame is a sickness, an epidemic in our culture, and we all suffer from it. So what's the cure? What do we do with our shame? Well, I've got good news for you this morning, because the gospel is the antidote to shame. Because of Jesus Christ, we can live vulnerably before God and with one another. Now, to show you this, I want to take you to a scene where shame first enters the human story. It's found in Genesis 3, and we're going to go to verse 7. Genesis 3, 7. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. And here's what I want to show you. The result of the sickness of shame and the antidote to the sickness of shame. The result of the sickness of shame and the antidote to the sickness of shame. See where we're going? All right. Before we dive into Genesis 3, though, let me give you a little bit of the background. Adam and Eve are living in deep, intimate relationship with God and with one another. And God tells them that they are free to to eat of any tree in the garden, but they must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because once they do, they would certainly die. Satan, our enemy, comes in the form of a serpent, and he tempts Eve to eat from this tree so that she begins to doubt the goodness of God. And by the way, this is what is at the root of every sin, or doubting the goodness of God. And so Satan, the serpent, begins whispering to Eve these lies. Eve, God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to be as close and connected to him as you think he does. Eve, you're not as important as you think you are. In fact, you are less than you think you are. You are not enough. And so Eve takes the fruit, she eats it, she gives it to Adam, and he eats it. And by the way, this isn't all Eve's fault because Adam is just as culpable. And and Adam and Eve disobey God, and sin enters the world. Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Adam and Eve sinned. The result of sin is their shame. Genesis 2.25 tells us that they were naked and they felt no shame. The way the writer describes life before sin entered the world is not to say that they were naked or happy or naked and content. He says they were naked and they were unashamed. And what the writer is trying to point us to is the fact that trust is now replaced with shame. They realize that they're naked. They sew fig leaves together to cover their nakedness and their vulnerability. And they're filled with shame. So let's look at the result of the sickness of shame. And the result is hiding. We, we first hide from God, verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Adam and Eve walked with God. They talked with God. They had this deep, trusting relationship with God. But once shame enters their story, they hide. And we're really no different. 
Shame makes us afraid, so we hide from God. We believe that if God sees who we really are, he can't love us, and so we hide. But we don't just hide from God, we also hide from one another. Verse seven, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Before sin and shame enter their story, they're naked and they're unashamed, and now they can't bear to have one another look at their nakedness. It feels excruciating to be exposed in this way. And so they sew fig leaves together to cover up their vulnerability. And we've been doing the same ever since. My fig leaves were the approval of others and my accomplishments. Maybe for you, it's your look, so you make sure you get the right clothes or you work out really hard. Maybe it's your career, so you drive yourself to achieve, to get the corner office or that next promotion. Maybe it's your wealth, so you make sure you have a home in the right neighborhood and that you drive the fanciest car. For some of us, it's religion. And so we're in church all the time, doing all the right things, saying all the right things, but it's all fig leaves. We use these things to cover up our shame, and yet it's never enough. And we use a number of strategies to hide from ourselves, from, from God, and from each other. We hide by numbing out. We've bought into the lie that if we stay busy enough, the truth of our lives won't catch up with us. Americans today are more debt-ridden, obese, medicated, and, and addicted than any other time in all of history. We turn to distraction, whether it's overeating, overdrinking, social media, or binging on Netflix. Others of us chase after perfectionism. Perfectionism isn't striving for excellence or trying to improve yourself. At its core, it's about earning approval. It's the self-destructive belief that if I look perfect, if I do everything perfectly, then I can avoid, or at least I could minimize, the, the painful feeling of shame. But it's self-destructive because it's an unattainable goal. So when you fail to achieve it, it leads to greater shame. It's this vicious cycle. And it's all fig leaves. The result of the sickness of shame is hiding. So what's the cure? The gospel is the antidote to shame. Verse nine, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? God comes calling after Adam. This isn't a question of geographical location, like somehow God lost Adam and Eve, like he didn't pull out his find my iPhone app to see where they were. This is not a question of physical location. God is signaling to them that he is coming after them in their hiding. He's saying, Adam, Eve, I am pursuing you in love. God moves towards them instead of moving away from them. Satan wants to destroy the relationship between God and Adam and Eve. His, his goal was to create chaos and confusion and doubt to sever the relationship between, between God and humanity. But God moves towards them. He seeks them. And this is what God has been doing ever since that fateful day. He initiates, he pursues us in our sin and our shame and in our mess. When we rebelled, when we turned our backs on God, God still keeps pursuing us. And what God started that day in the garden culminated that day when Jesus died on the cross because this is what Jesus came to do, to seek and to save the lost. 
But then God asks another question. Verse 11, who told you you were naked? Whose voice have you been listening to, Adam? Have you been listening to the voice of the enemy, the voice of shame? Stop listening to the voice of shame, Adam. Start listening to the voice of your father. In Jesus Christ, God has dealt with our sin and shame. So now instead of hiding, instead of fear, instead of sowing fig leaves, we can now embrace vulnerability. We can embrace vulnerability with God because in Jesus Christ, you are fully known and truly loved. God knows every inch of your heart and your life and he loves you unconditionally. And maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus and you've been haunted by shame your entire life. Or maybe you are a follower of Jesus. You know that your sins are forgiven, that you are a son or daughter of God and yet you're still living like a slave to shame. You are listening to the voice of shame instead of listening to the voice of your father. And to come vulnerably before God, you must name your shame. We must confess our sins and we must bring to the light the lies that the voice of shame whispers to us in the darkness. The voice of shame kept telling me that I am not good enough. And in some ways, that's true. I have sinned. I have failed. I have done a lot of things that I am not proud of. I am not enough, but I don't have to be. Because it's not about me. It's, it's about Jesus and what Jesus has done for me. And Jesus is more than enough for me. And it wasn't until I was 23 years old and came into a genuine relationship with Jesus that I even got a glimpse of God's unconditional love for me. That I began to realize that the grace of Jesus Christ cancels my guilt and heals me from my shame. The writer of Hebrews says, for the joy set before him, he, Jesus, endured the cross, scorning its shame. You and I are Jesus' joy and delight, and he endured the cross for us. He scorned your shame. He despised it. He hated it. And he scorns the shame that you feel because of your sins, failures, addictions, devastating habits that you find yourself stuck in, and the pain from broken relationships. He despises your shame and what it does to you so much so that he takes it upon himself, and he bears the crushing weight of your sin and shame so that you will never have to. And now we can come before God, not in cowering shame, wondering whether he loves us, but now we come before God in confident joy, knowing that he loves us because of Jesus. I no longer have to hide. I'm no longer ashamed because I am loved, accepted, forgiven, redeemed, chosen. I am free. And if you're a follower of Jesus, the same is true of you. Shame is not your name. You are the beloved child of God. And the truest thing about you is that you are loved by God. We embrace vulnerability with God. And vulnerability with God leads to vulnerability with others. As our friends in recovery would say, we're only as sick as our secrets. Brene Brown says it like this. If you put shame in a Petri dish, it needs three ingredients to grow exponentially. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. If you put the same amount of shame in the Petri dish and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. Friends, the enemy hates it when we tell our stories, when we shine the light of Jesus on places of darkness in our lives. 
What if instead of building walls, instead of living in the shadows, instead of wearing masks, what if we were just vulnerable with each other? What if we shared our stories with each other? What if we stopped hiding and we were just honest with one another? And what if in those moments we responded with empathy by saying, look, I may not have experienced what you've experienced, but you're not alone. What if in the middle of our biggest messes, we pointed each other to Jesus? As I embrace vulnerability with God, I learned to be vulnerable with others. I once thought of vulnerability as weakness. I now see it as strength and courage. Now, I don't share everything with everyone, but I have learned to be vulnerable. And I have a core group of men and women who know me, who love me, who are for me, and who point me to Jesus. Just this week, I shared with two of my friends and and I just told them some of the things that were causing fear and insecurity to rise up in my heart because I knew that wasn't from the Lord. And they responded by telling me the truth about who I am and the truth about who God is. They pointed me to Jesus. There is nothing in my life that is hidden or secret. They know everything about me. And I know being vulnerable is scary. I get it. Because it means taking a risk of getting hurt. But our deepest pain often comes from relationships. But so does our deepest healing. Trusting others, being vulnerable is worth the risk. My friend Jen has graciously allowed me to share her story of her experience of the pain of shame and the joy of vulnerability. 15 years ago, Jen's marriage hit a really rocky season. And for a variety of reasons, she found herself in recovery. And initially, that didn't make sense to her. She wasn't addicted to drugs or alcohol, and isn't that what recovery is all about? But as she began participating in the weekly gatherings, she realized that she was stuck in some really devastating patterns that were damaging her life. And because of trauma that she experienced as a child, Jen had been living in the story of shame, listening to the voice of shame that kept telling her that she was not good enough. She believed God could not love her and that if others really saw who she was, they wouldn't love her either. The authentic community that she found at recovery pointed her to Jesus and God's great love for her. And through the love of this community and the healing that she found in God's love, Jen has experienced freedom from shame. And today, Jen is on our staff as a key leader in our recovery ministry. Jen stopped listening to the voice of shame and she began listening to the voice of her father. And this allowed her to be vulnerable with God and with others. And it has led to goodness and beauty in her life and in the lives of others. And friends, this is what God wants for each one of us. Tim Keller writes this. To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. 
the invitation this morning is to stop hiding and to embrace vulnerability with, with God and with others. Embrace vulnerability with God by naming your shame. And maybe this morning you need to confess some sin. You need to bring your sin and shame before God. Naming it by writing it on this black cloth that on Good Friday will be hung on the cross as a tangible reminder to us that Jesus Christ has once and for all dealt with our sin and shame so that we will never have to. Shame is not your name. Stop listening to the voice of shame and start listening to the voice of your father. Embrace vulnerability with God, but then embrace vulnerability with others by sharing your story. Maybe for you, that means going to recovery because you're stuck in some devastating patterns in your life. Or maybe it means joining a hope and healing group to get the support you need as you navigate a difficult season. Perhaps naming your shame this morning means coming up here and writing it on the black cloth or processing that with a pastor or one of our counselors. Maybe for you, the invitation is to get connected in community here at IBC by joining one of our mid-sized community groups, men's, women's, young adults, or one of our Bible communities. All of those ministry teams, as well as some of our pastors, will be out in town square after this service. They would love to talk with you, to, to pray with you, and to help you get connected to community here at IBC. And maybe you're here this morning, you're already in community. Perhaps the invitation to you, that next step is to, to make a commitment that you're gonna show up as your authentic self and you're really gonna share yourself with others. This morning, the father pursues you. Stop hiding, he says. Where are you, he calls. God's pursuit of you began that day in the garden and it culminated that day when Jesus Christ died on the cross. On this Palm Sunday, King Jesus rides into Jerusalem to go to that cross and as he went to the cross, he thought of you and he thought of me and he died so that we could live free. Jesus Christ has freed us from the chains of shame and sin that have for so long imprisoned us. Stop listening to the voice of shame. Start listening to the voice of your father. Stop living in the story of shame. Start living in the story of God. You are not your biggest failure. You are not your worst moment. You are not your greatest disappointment. You are not your addiction. You are not your divorce. You are not what other people say or think about you. You are not what you have done. You are not what others have done to you. You are not dirty. You are not damaged. You are not defective. You are the beloved child of God. And the truest thing about you, the truest thing about you is that you are loved by God. Oh, that you would believe that this morning. In Jesus Christ, you are fully known and truly loved. The gospel, friends, the gospel is the antidote to shame. Would you pray with me? Father, we confess that there are so many moments in our lives where we are stuck listening to the voice of shame, living in the story of shame, instead of listening to your voice and living in the truer, better story that you have for us. And so we ask that you would help us to stop hiding and to embrace vulnerability with you and with others. Thank you for loving us, for pursuing us, for rescuing us. Thank you that the grace of Jesus Christ cancels our guilt and heals us from our shame. And we pause now to reflect upon our own hearts. 
to see if there's anything that we need to bring before you, any sin we need to confess, any shame that we need to name to bring before the light of your love. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your love, your grace, and your forgiveness. Thank you for healing us of our shame. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.